Today's episode of the Back to Back Podcast is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or you're just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users today. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to back2back, B-A-C-K-T-O-B-A-C-K dot Robinhood.com. That's backtoback.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel and Seth Hartnett. Are you ready to be entertained? Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerder She Wrote. It's the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave DeFore, joined as always by Seth Partnow and Mo Dakil. What is up, fellas? Not a whole lot, man. What about you guys? Just hanging out, man. Just, uh, I'm just doing well. Just spent the weekend uh, with Larry Kuhn, uh, teaching the CBA to some people. And it, it's amazing um, how needed the refresher was for me because... I just don't live in the CBA every day like a lot of people do. And, uh, you know, this time of year, you get a lot. There's a lot of um, I've been getting a lot of questions about trade exceptions. And it was nice to have a, a refresher on all that stuff. I know that's exciting for you guys. Yeah, I'm no, thrilled. it's funny. It's it's funny you say <laughs> that about needing a refresher, because like, honestly, that's of kind of the knowledge base that I had in my previous job. Like, that's the part that's gone away the quickest, like just the at my fingertips kind of knowing what where every team was and kind of basically what they could do. Right. Um, I just have to I have to remind myself now. And whereas, you know, six months ago, it was just kind of there. Um, and it, it's the kind of thing that if you don't, you know, you, you, you do flashcards about stuff for a reason. You need to remind right. yourself. And that's that like the detail. The devil is in the details of that. And if you don't remind yourself, it, it, uh, it goes away pretty quick. Well, and it doesn't help that a lot of this stuff is just like so convoluted and and, and almost like purposely tricky and, and and the rules changed based on, you know, what, what salary position you wind up in. So if you wind up, if you make a trade and you wind up in the tax, it's a different rule than if you wind up out of the tax, it doesn't matter where you start, it's where you finish. And so it gets to be tricky. So it was really nice to, you know, even though I was like helping to instruct the class, you know, it was a good refresher for me too. And, and also like you get some great questions when you're doing stuff like that that really uh, get you thinking of, of outside the box ways to circumvent the salary cap, which is of course the whole point of knowing the salary cap. Um, but uh, you know, not, not to get in into the CBA weeds here, but uh, you know, this show guys, we, we tried to do a, a good job of um, let's say shepherding people through uh, the analytics world, because I, I feel like, and, and we've discussed this quite a bit. We, we feel like, Analytics guys sometimes get a bad rap. There are good actors and there are bad actors, as we have all, you know, noted and, and tried to point out. We we try to make try to make a point when someone is using analytics properly 
and when they're using them improperly, which, you know, Seth has just been an amazing addition to that. But the Cleveland Browns uh, GM, Paul DePodesta, had some very interesting comments on analytics and, and, you know, how, you know, how they should be viewed and how they're used. And and I I thought this was uh, an interesting discussion point for us in particular. Uh, So I want to play that audio right now. I think people have a a, a really warped view of maybe what analytics is. Uh, I think I maybe have a very different conception than what everybody else has. Um, You know, when I think of analytics, I just think of having sort of frameworks to make decisions under uncertainty. I mean, look, everything we do in in these jobs um, is really built around uncertainty. I mean, what players we're going to take in the draft, you know, what we're going to call on third and eight. I mean, it's it's all about uncertainty, right? So what frameworks can you create that at least maybe stack the odds in your favor, give you a better chance of being successful? Um, And whether that's drafting a player or hiring a coach or calling a play, um, it's not not necessarily about numbers and, and spreadsheets. Okay, so so Seth, I think that um, I mean that's all very clear and, and kind of like one of the most concise explanations for you know using analytics. Yes, I think the key point there, and and he goes on to talk in in specifics about you know the the analytics quote unquote that they use to to make their head coaching hire weren't on a spreadsheet; they were qualitative measures in like their interview, their references, their their personality typing or testing of 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 the of the new coach uh, who's I actually got it got an NBA tie. Um his he's he's the, the son of of the the current I don't interim GM of the Pistons, I guess. Uh Ed Stefanski, his son is now the, the coach of the of of the Browns. But the the point of that is is not that it's it's a series of spreadsheets or numbers or algorithms or equations or any or or rankings or anything like that. It's a a mode of thought that is based on making the best decisions possible, knowing that you what you don't know, uh, especially about the future, uh, is larger than what you do know. And I think the most interesting thing he said there is, is you know, we want to make the best decisions to stack the odds in our favor. And that's what we're trying to do is to come up with a, a series of, of routines, of heuristics, of processes that allow you to take all the available information try to distill the stuff that matters from the stuff that's noise and come up with the, you know, the, the, the best uh, possibilities to, to give yourself the best chance to win. And then you roll the dice and, and take your, hopefully the chances are in your favors now that you're, you roll the dice and you're taking your chances. Right. I mean, again, it, it's, it's taking in all the available information. I, I just don't see why there's always this pushback you know, from, from the general public. And, and I, I wonder how much of this and, and Mo, you know, coming from your, your actual basketball background and, and you're actually really great at using, you know, the numbers to, to p- help paint a picture in, in your experience. What do you, why do you find this pushback exists? Is it just, you know, people feel like the barrier for entry, like as far as understanding the stuff is too high, which I, it's not like you need to know the equations. You just need to know the context of, of the statistic, right? Well, I think it's several things. I think the you're touching on it. Some people just don't understand what the numbers are telling you. And sometimes it's not very clear. Um, just having the statistic is saying, okay, like you got to kind of, we got to do a better job. And I think we do a good job on the show. Uh, and when I mean we, I mean Seth. Uh, does a good job of really kind of explaining it as to why it's important. Like we talked about last week with net rating and how it's, you know, this is the net rating when he's on the floor, but it's the team's net rating, not his net rating and so on. And I think, 
you know, for me, I've always looked at it as the stats and we always look at it. It's, it's analytics versus the eye test, which is not a biggest load of, sh- I mean, excuse me, but not a bigger load of bullcrap than there is. It's not versus they go together, they coincide, they work together. And, you know, I think it's an important thing to have that. And I think people don't really understand that. And it's, it's just, they get frustrated and sometimes we throw too many numbers at somebody or take everything, you know, and throw it out the window. And just some people are resistant to that. I think it, it takes a little more time. And I think sometimes we have to be a little more gradual with how we start teaching. It may not go at the pace we want it, people to embrace it, but it's, it's got to go at their pace in which they get more, more comfortable and embrace it. Cause you guys, we all know the coaches were very anti-analytics early on. Right. And, and fought it tooth and nail, but slowly, but surely a lot more coaches have bought in and, and so on. And, and as our coaches have gotten younger in the league, more of them are into it and, and buying into it and, and are all in. But it takes time. And I think sometimes we, we try to push too much on the, on the fans too quickly. How much of this is a PR problem? How much of this is the league and teams and media doing a poor job of relating you know, what, the, what analytics is to the, the, the consumer, to the fan? I think a lot of it is. I think it's, you know, and, and Seth could probably speak to it more. I mean, Seth probably watches all these broadcasts and hears them throw a stat out. And I can only just imagine him rolling his eyes or throwing his hands up in despair going like, that's a terrible stat. That's not saying what you want it to say. Um, I think that's kind of across the board. I think we have players that are in the broadcast booth that don't really sell the analytics. You know, we, we have some guys that are probably feel like their careers have been devalued a bit by by the the analytics game and and that's why they're so resistant so i think a lot of it is more of a pr thing and i think some of it is some people are using stats very in a very poor way some of even the analytics guys are are using it in a very disingenuous way and i think that that all gets back to what d podesta was saying in that clip is it's not the number per se it's the mode of thought that let, takes that into account, puts that into proper context, and integrates that into a decision making, a decision being made, or an evaluation. And so that's again, like the language we use about this stuff matters. And language that I kind of constantly fight against is is even the notion of quote the numbers say, because if the numbers speak for themselves, they don't need interpretation, and you don't need you know, an expert to do that. It's, it's self-evident and obvious. And if it's that point, you probably didn't need the number in the first place. If it's, if it's that obvious, right? So all of this stuff comes with, with putting things in proper context, asking the right question, answering it in a, in a way that, that, you know, with the appropriate humility for how certain you are of the answer, because there's some things that like are just like, you know, to the 99.9th percent like certainty are just true and those things you pound the table on and and you you go to the mat on and some things it's like hey you know this could go either way but we got a better chance i think based on these on these uh uh these metrics and these 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 routines that i'm going through and so i think that that's the better solution but it might not work and it might work the other way we just have to, to find our best way through um and as to the to to switch gears a little bit to the PR thing, there's kind of two things there. One, I think that, yeah, especially since the first wave of analytics and sort of any sport came from a more uh, kind of economics bent, 
um, the the discussion of them was all about like these these uh, kind of uh, abstruse values that were uh, you know player values that were you know too far removed from the game from people in the game to really like glom onto, and so there was that pushback. But then on the other side, I think that in many ways, like what analytics is analytics are what I don't, you know, I don't love the term analytics anyway. Um, you know, some people have, have called it decision sciences, which also seems a bit, I don't know, pretentious. Uh, yeah. Pretentious. Yeah, okay. I was going to, I was going to say douchey, but you know, th- that works yeah, too. Set, if you want to set the whole industry back, call it that, go ahead. Yeah, no, but I think that's a, that's it. But regardless, people who don't really know what the thing is are are the ones who are defining it the loudest. So it becomes analytics says oh, never shoot the mid-range shot. Anal- it's like no, analytics says like the 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 empirical evidence suggests that in today's environment and we'll get two reasons why I think later in the pod, right Mo, uh suggests that, you know, having guys arrayed di- in different places on the floor than that to produce different shots is, is just more effective in today's game. It's not an ideological thing. It's an empirical thing that in this environment, this leads to better outcomes. Well, this is like a natural segue to what has quickly become everyone's favorite part of the show. Seth yelling at clouds. Um, we got We got to actually like create a drop for this because it kind of needs its own theme music. Um, so, <laughs> Just should just little... be random, random Seth yelling yeah. at us over the pods <laughs> over the past few months. Um, we should be able to put that together well, and, and almost speed that up. A little inside baseball. So about what? What would you say, Mo? Like three or four times a week, we will get a, a text in the group chat from Seth that is like, "Oh, I'm so mad about this." <laughs> and my response is, "Oh, let's throw it in the Google Doc." So Seth, what are you mad about this week? Um, this one I'm not, I'm not mad about. I'm just sort of, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Um, there, one of the things about kind of the, the constant, uh, analytics versus traditional, uh, battle. So that you will, is that you end up like having to kill the same zombies over and over again. Um, kind of a bad, you know, a bad stat or way of looking at things comes up you beat it down and you didn't, you know, you didn't burn the body and it gets back up again and keeps walking. And, and so that kind of one of those that's kind of come up again this week is uh, for understandable reasons. I mean, a lot of people have talked about James Harden's proficiency with the step back three, and it is undoubtedly a huge weapon for James Harden. And now people are wondering who else can shoot step back threes like that. Uh, And they look to the available sources of data uh, in this case, the only readily available source of data on 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 what is uh, on quote unquote step back threes is uh, kind of the descriptions in NBA play by play. If you ever look at the, you know, you go to like the Statcast on ESPN or NBA.com or any other website, it'll you know it won't just say uh, you know James Harden makes 19 foot jump shot. It'll say James. It'll sometimes say makes 19 foot jump shot, but sometimes it'll say makes 19 foot pull up jump shot, makes 19 foot bank shot, makes 19 foot running step back pirouette, spin finger roll, dot 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 dot. And from those descriptions, people you can you can total up those descriptions and say, hey, look, so and so is shooting 83 percent on bank shots. Now, the problem with that, and this is something that has been kind of demonstrated over and over again, 
is those are not those those descriptors of of a shot aren't universally applied at all and it's pretty easy to see that the kind of the color the flavor the 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 mustard on on that hot dog is much more often given on made shots than missed shots and the reason for that i think is pretty simple i mean it's a that's that's kind of a manual entry by a scorekeeper sitting courtside and if you think about it you know the a guy takes a shot the ball goes in the opposition takes the ball out of bounds throws it in, walks the ball off the floor, game continues. That's if the shot goes in. If the shot is missed, the shot's missed, it's rebounded, we fast break the other way, things are going on. Now, in terms of you having time to, uh, was that a tip-in? Was that a bank shot? Was that a runner? Was that a lay-in? Was that a step back? What was that? In terms of you having the time to process and enter that in the stat sheet, that's just going to happen more when you have the break in the action that is given by a made shot than if it's a missed shot and a rebound and then four other things happen. And it's much more important for you to get, okay, missed shot, rebound, shot the other way than it is to get the exact details of that first shot right. So what ends up happening is you get these massively skewed uh, percentages. Uh, uh, I think when I first looked at it, it was something like John Wall was shooting like 80 percent on on quote pull-up shots according to 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 play by play data and this was this was five or six years ago and you know the the uh the obvious answer is well he should never not shoot a shoot a shoot a pull-up because he shoots 80 percent on that and just 45 percent on regular jump shots and really what's happening is like it just got entered as a pull-up when it went in and not when it didn't and the same thing happened with like Tim Duncan bank shots and because Tim Duncan was famous for making bank shots. So if he made a bank shot, it got entered as a bank shot because, oh, look, Timmy did it again. And so <laughs> what ends up happening is is that this, this these stats are, are meaningless because uh, they, they are being collected in an inconsistent way that doesn't reflect what's actually happened. And it's a pure example of like garbage in garbage out. I can't imagine. So is a step back, a good shot or a bad shot? I don't know. Uh, it's, it's a hard <laughs> shot. After. No, it's for most, for, for most players, for most players, it's a, it's a, it's a hard shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think you're going to be able to tell from in, from, you know, NBA play by play data. You're not going to be able to tell who's good at it or not. Maybe with, you know, the, the, a lot of the hardened numbers that have come out because, Harden is such a high-profile player. Are stats that are curated from you know second spectrum tracking data, which you know is a bit more not it's not perfect, but it's much more consistent in terms of okay if he moved this way before he shot, we feel pretty confident that's a step back. Versus you know the scorekeeper at the game, if he just if he might he just missed the three, but the one he made was a step back. Right. So just like everything else, right? None of this is any good without the context, and and too often. You know, th- this shot data is just presented as fact. I mean, you we've talked about contested versus uncontested, what that means, what the NBA definition of that means, and, and how that applies to reality. Um, the, the, the shot type thing is just another example of that, very, very obviously. But it's almost even more than that, because it's if I understand Seth correctly, too, it's just not calculated the same way across the board. If one stat keeper sees it one way, you know, when they go play yep. and – Sacramento, that stat keeper, that stat keeper might see it a different way. So it's not even like we have a consistent mode of getting it. Like you said with Second Spectrum, like they're getting all the data. It's all going through the same filtering process, right? So it might be more accurate, may not be better, or may not be 
good, but it's better than this because it's at least giving us a consistent read on this is how they view this type of play over and over, or this movement in particular. Right. And that's how they view it as a step back. You know, that might be wrong. It might be right. Who knows? But like, I think that's kind of the bigger problem with this is that there's just no consistency across the board uh, with, with how right. that's tracked. Guys, right. And in, in, in the, in, in the tracking data space, like the definitions are, I mean, all of these are made up definitions is none of it is it exists in a vacuum so what you think of as you know where you draw the line between something that's a that's a dribble handoff versus a pick and roll like might be different than where someone else is and neither one of them is right or wrong but you have to you categorize it one way or the other and as long as you're catching the same plays the same way you can at least start to analyze that now you may want to you may want that definition to be different. And, and the good, the good thing is if you decide you want a different definition, if you have the technical skill to do so, you can go back and change that for all the games. You know, you've, you've coded, you've, how many games have you coded in your life as from like a, like sports code or something like that? God, I, too many. It broke my brain. Now, now say if you're, you're doing, you're doing a scout on a team and you realize halfway through that you've been coding a specific play call wrong. It's actually a slightly different play call because it has a different wrinkle or something like that. You'd have to go back and manually do that every time, right? Yep, every time. And and uh, it, now if you're looking at events from a tracking data standpoint, it's like, oh, my definition is slightly wrong. Let me tweak it. And now all the ones I've already done are fixed also. And that's so that's where the the some of the power of of this out uh, al- this algorithmic tracking comes from guys uh we spent a lot of time on this show talking about physical fitness being ready to play but there's another side of the game that's almost as important mental fitness calm the number one app for sleep and meditation has teamed up with lebron james to help you train your mind lebron and calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body and calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron, sleep is as important as his physical fitness routine when it comes to being ready to play in a game. Having good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. And if you head to calm.com slash back, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes LeBron loves, like rain on leaves and so much more. Sleep stories and meditations read by some of your favorite Hollywood actors. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash back. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash back. That's calm.com slash back. Now, you guys know that I think offenses are a little overpowered right now. I think I, I think that the league is going to have to do something at some point to uh, to kind of level the playing field a bit. Whether that's enforcing you know illegal screens to a greater degree, or uh, actually counting three seconds at all, <laughs> at all, <laughs> right, at all, and <laughs> and you know it, it kind of has you know I was thinking about uh, ways to do this and. and so much of what we've seen, like as far as the, the growth of the league over the last 20 years, can be tied into the defensive rules changes when they got rid of the illegal defense rules. And Mo, you sent me a, a tweet from, from someone that, that actually thought this out loud. How different yeah, would the game be? 
Yeah, the tweet I sent you was from a buddy of mine, Alvin Zeidenfeld, a uh, big uh, daily fantasy guy, if anybody's interested in that stuff. Um, but, you know, he, he, he used to coach, so he's full-on versed in basketball, so I trust his opinion on a lot of this stuff. And he's right. Like, the rule change, when they basically got rid of, changed the way they do illegal defense, it was all basically to stop one post player, one Shaquille O'Neal. And it basically allowed teams to double team him before he had the ball. That's kind of the gist of it. Um, before that, you know, like that's when you wanted space for your post guy, you just sent everybody to the other side of the court. That's how we ended up with the boring basketball of the 90s. Right. Just watching Charles Barkley back people down, uh, uh, Patrick Ewing, all those guys. And that's kind of how you created spacing. So with the rules change, it basically ushered in this whole situation where it's like, okay, now you need shooters on the floor to create that space to just open the floor up. And I think that's kind of where all this stems from is from that rule change in 2001, which I don't think anybody really saw that when they made that change really saw this being the effect. I mean, it's better, right? Like it, it opens oh, up the better. floor, you get all this movement, but at, at a, there's a point where, you know, it, is it better to I mean, is it better for the game itself? Or do we need something to kind of slow the offenses down a little bit? I think we just need to kind of start calling the illegal screens a little tighter. I think we need to kind of be a little tougher there on the on the offense. I think, you know, I'm not sure if there's really a full rule change. I don't want to go back to the old illegal defense and then just have what we had in the nineties. Like basketball, like you said, is better. Like the game's better. It's flowing better. Um, I'd like to see certain things get taken out, but I just think sometimes we also got to try to enforce some of these things. Some of the, the travels we let people get away with or, uh, carrying and things like that. It's just, it's impossible. You can't defend a guy if you let him travel. Like it's just impossible. So this is a, this is a, a, this is part of the reason why when I do analysis, I start the modern era looking at 2003, uh, 2004, 2005, 2005. That's like the, the line of demarcation is that was, that was in addition to this, the, the, the change in the illegal defense rules. And Oh, by the way, do people remember there used to be illegal offense that used to be a call. If you ever had, uh, was it three people above the hash on the opposite, opposite side of the floor, right? That was a turnover. It was illegal offense because otherwise you could just have, didn't matter who they were. didn't matter. Right. They could have been the non shooterist non shooter of all time. You still had to like be one zone away from the guy uh, standing, you know, way opposite side of the court, which is, you know, violates every rule of shell defense. Any of us have ever been taught. Right. Right. Um, uh, but then the, the combination of the, that illegal defense rule, which, sort of forced offenses to become more creative in how they 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 generate spacing um because you couldn't just stand over there and they have to they have to face guard you but then the the rules on against like hand checking and stuff on the perimeter um that those combined to give more freedom of movement in a situation where there already was movement and at the same time uh the the post player was sort of devalued because they were easier to double team and and some of the and teams got smarter about double teaming not just to, to take the ball out of their hands but to force turnovers um and so that's where kind of the the sort of the nashian spread pick and roll uh type type stuff really came to fruition was right in that early 2000s and it was a result of kind of those those changes which you know required more off offensive players to be more skilled to to occupy defenders and also change the the balance, I think, 
between kind of kind of strength and skill on the perimeter. Like when you could just, you know, straight up hand check a guy coming off a screen, you know, a six six guard becomes much more valuable in terms of being able to, you know, fight through that as well as be able to stop a little water bug guard if you can just guide him with it with the big if you can't touch him anymore then the faster guy wins um and so i think that's those those rule changes are really at the heart of of kind of the modern style of play yeah so, i mean like getting yeah, rid of the hand checking is really kind of what allowed all the guards to get going and i don't want to see hand checking come back either you know i think certain things like uh uh we talked about this a while back the hollinger get rid of the three foul, uh, three free throws for, you know, the threes, or let's be more diligent about calling out when a guy's shooter's kicking out his legs to draw that offensive, to draw the foul. Let's get more diligent about calling that an offensive foul. Let's get more. You can't just throw your body into a guy and then, you know, or, or like you go for a pump fake, the guy jumps straight up, then you jump into him and go for a shot. That shouldn't be a, uh, uh, defensive foul. It's an offensive foul. In my right. opinion, if the guy's straight up, like they don't, we don't call that the, the league doesn't call that enough. And I think those are things where it's like, that's just part of the offense has the advantage. You know, yeah. we, we coached it when I was with the Clippers under Dunleavy. If you get a guy up in the air, that's your opportunity to get to the line. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know? And, and so I think we just got to get better with some of the stuff, the way we're calling certain things. Well, the, the, the default almost seems to be, I'm calling a foul on contact. And I think that they need to go the other way. I think they need to swallow – and, God, I sound like one of these old guys, like the game used to be tougher. That's not even what I mean. But I, I do think it's gotten a little bit out of hand. Like the defense is already at an inherent advantage just by the nature of the game, right? The offense knows what it's doing. The defense is reacting. So they are naturally at a disadvantage. Then you add in the rules and the fact that, you know, offensive fouls are actually pretty rare. Um, and, and you've got this kind of like – this perfect storm where you're not allowed to play defense. And I do think that they need to clean that up a little bit. I, I also don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's completely about the rules. I mean, right, the, right. The, it, it's created, it's put incentives in place where the skill level required to play is just like higher. Uh, there's like, I was watching part, uh, part of the, the Mavs uh, Warriors game uh, the other day. And there was a play where like Dorian Finney Smith, who's no one's idea of like, a skillful operator like comes off a second side pick and roll gets to gets to the elbow looks the defender off and then then like skips a pass to the opposite side corner for a three like this is your unskilled three and D small forward making us like a, a pretty advanced read that that's just you know you would you'd never have seen a guy in that at, at that level be able to make that kind of like sophisticated play back when guys didn't have to have that skill. So I think we should acknowledge that it's not just like the rules and the environment. The environment has like naturally forced everyone to be, certainly everyone who plays in the perimeter, to have a wider variety of skills than than really any time in, 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 in basketball history. And I think that contributes to why, even though the offense does have an advantage, I don't think I have as much of a problem with it it's in terms of the scoreboard moving as sure. you do because these guys are making good plays. Like, yeah, I think we can clean up some of the fouls. We can clean yeah. up the, the the illegal screening so it's not as easy for the offense to get an advantage. But more guys can make what would, would have been 10 years ago just like PhD-level reads and plays 
then and, and now they're just like that. Now it's just the table stakes to be, that you have to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I think the cleaning up is on the margins, right? I, I don't think that there's, there's a fundamental part of the game that's just broken. I, I just think it's the it's the moving screens, you know, like like Mo said, it's the the travels where you gain an advantage. I don't care if a guy takes eight steps on a breakaway dunk. I really don't. Right. Like it just doesn't bother me. What was it? Uh, the Corey Brewer where he, you know, held it like he was carrying a pizza in a restaurant and, and, and then dunk. <laughs> it just didn't bother me. Um, what bothers or the me one is, where like LeBron, like LeBron, like massively carries at the top of the floor yeah, when he's yes, not doing anything yeah. and like, no one's near him. Like, I just don't care. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. But when the guys get away with it and get an advantage, that is, again, because the defense is already so disadvantaged. I think that we got to clean that up because it has gotten a bit out of control. Some of these Euro steps that aren't actually Euro steps that are travels. You know, I would like to see those cleaned up. Um, but the, the legal screening is the number one thing. And it was a point of emphasis. But, you know, just like every year, it's, it's you know, first 10 or 15 games, they're doing a great job. And, and then all of a sudden it just reverts back to what they're used to. And, and I think that they've got to get better about that. And I do think that, that the other thing is, with the flopping, which I, I, they've gotten better about. They still haven't solved, and they never will, right? It's, it's human beings. But I, I think that if they just went and, and made it so that their default reaction is that you're going to have to play through some contact, we would probably wind up with a more accurate portrayal of what, you know, of, of foul calls, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I, you know, I'm I'm reticent to say that that they're that the league is calling a lot of touch fouls now. I mean, you guys have both been close to the court enough to see there's a there's a lot of contact that goes on. So and there's a lot of contact that goes on between the ball handler and and defenders a lot of the time. So I don't like I I think I think the issue is more that like the offense is allowed to get away with initiating more contact than the defense and in that way is able to kind of gain advantage. Like, you know, it's almost like the offense pushes off and the defense like holds or pushes back and who gets caught, you know, the, the, the second person the second like, guy well, always. Yeah. So it's like two kids in the backseat of a car, right? Stop hitting yeah. your brother. He hit me first. Well, you uh, say you can't stay connected <laughs> anymore. If you hook and trail, you yeah. can't stay connected at all. Right. And, and I well, think the, because of the shooting foul. Yeah. It's a shooting foul, and also because you have to, like, the line you have to take as the defender is different than the line the offensive player can take, because the 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 screener is allowed to like roll his butt, you know, back <laughs> yeah. behind as he's starting the roll. Right. So all of a sudden you have to go like three feet higher up the floor, and this is, um, like, this is to get not too nitty gritty, but this is you know a player. Oh, we're who, in the weeds right now. I, like, yeah. this is <laughs> no, but yeah. this is this is a big change for a player who you know was was on the Bucks last year and is still on the Bucks this year. Who uh, an area where he's improved greatly is is Dante Divincenzo would just run smack dab into every one of those screens as the guy like rolled rolled out into it last year, and then this year he's kind of figured out okay, I need to anticipate that and go over, and now he's getting over over screens and has been a very effective defender for the Bucks this year, and just like realizing that that's what's coming as opposed to in college that's a foul, so he was taking he was you know right. trying to take the same take take as close to the same line as the offensive players possible. And I think it should be closer to the college way where, you know, you can't set this road grader screen where all of a sudden, like, there's four feet of difference from where the two players have to run. Yeah, it's just hard to defend. I mean, it's just impossible to defend in that situation. And, you know, kind of going back to just seeing it on the floor in the sense of 
it's amazing how inconsistent the calls are in the same game. Whereas they let you, you know, you'll see a dude get a ticky tack foul on one end, but they'll let a dude essentially just get, you, you know, like freaking run off the court and not a foul called, you know, it's, it's, it's such a disparity sometimes where it's, it's frustrating, you know, and we always say, you know, listen, just see how the refs are calling the game. But it's hard in that sense when it's like you don't know which way it's going or it's different in the first quarter than it was in the third. We know in, in close games, it's always going to be tighter. They're going to let calls go and things like that. We understand that. But even just from the first and third quarter, it's a such a different game. It's hard to adjust. And to go back to what Dave said, playing defense is hard enough, man. I mean, the offense already has the inherent advantage, so it's it's as difficult as it gets, and we make it harder, I think, sometimes with just just in general, from the rules to how it's officiated, the whole thing. Um, and sometimes people are just bad defenders. <laughs> well, that's a lot of time. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. Uh, it doesn't necessarily, you know, it doesn't get you paid unless you can also make threes. So, um Okay, so a lot of uh, – I don't know if anybody listening is following baseball at all, um, but there's this huge sign-stealing controversy. Now I guess three people have been fired. And, uh, you know, my, my first thing was I don't get why this is illegal. And then I, then I found out that the Astros actually had cameras that were pumping the signs into the dugout, and they were then – Relaying the signs to the batter, which, okay, yeah, all right, that's a little bit overboard. But it got us talking, uh, me and Mo in particular, um, about advanced scouts and how that's the the human way to steal signs in in basketball. And uh, these guys don't really get a lot of love, Mo. They don't. It's Listen, it's the hardest job in the NBA. You have to be a psychopath, first of all. I mean, you're on the road. Like shoot, I was talking to one scout recently and he's about to start a 18 day trip, which isn't like, oh, I'm going to get to chill in like Chicago for four days. No, it's I'm in Chicago tomorrow. I'm in Milwaukee. Then I'm flying to Phoenix. Then I'm going to Dallas. And it's like every day in a different city. It's nonstop. Uh, these guys are constantly on the move and they're basically trying to be ahead of their home team's kind of upcoming schedule. So if you're the Clippers scout, you know, you had somebody watching Orlando cause they're going to play Orlando on Wednesday night. Um, you know, and, and th- they relay the calls and things like that. And, and it is kind of, it's the welcome version of stealing signs. Like, here's the other thing. Like everybody knows what everybody's running at this point. And almost like everybody knows pops entire playbook for the most part, most part, unless he adds something new. Everybody knows all the play calls. Everybody knows everything that Doc's screaming and, and all that stuff. And that's kind of what we're getting to. So it's not as – it's different in baseball in the sense of like, look, the catcher's trying to hide what pitch is coming. That's why he's you know holding it down in between his legs instead of just yelling out like, yo, throw the fastball. It's not – you know, it's, it's, it's kind of different compared to baseball. But the advanced scout job is the hardest job because on top of all that, then you got to go back and look at film. I know as a video guy – I've gotten stuff from advanced scouts where I've gone like, hey, we called this play, whatever, roll four. Um, but you called this play again, roll four, but it's completely different play. What's the story? Which one's actually roll four? Like there's a whole challenge behind it. You know, it's a lot of communication back and forth with the video room in terms of preparing for upcoming opponents, getting the play call right, getting the play sheets right and everything that goes with it. So, I mean, I just wanted to give them a little bit of love because I know people were saying like, oh, it's like. 
you know, the NBA allows it legally. I go, yeah, but it's very different in the sense of like, you can't train a camera directly on the opposing coach's bench to get, you know, to get the, the calls. I mean, we're not going to have any Spygate situation here. Um, but it's a guy who gets, he gets a seat from the PR department, gets, tries to get as many calls as he can. And just for the fact of the matter is sometimes they screw up and give you the wrong calls. So, uh, I do just want to give them a little love cause it is the hardest job in the NBA that never really gets talked about. Seth, is it even necessary anymore? Because I have actually talked, I don't, I don't know if you have, but I've talked to a few front office folks that, that have discussed eliminating advanced scouts. Some teams only have one guy. Some teams have a couple, but I, I have talked to, a couple of different teams that said that they've considered eliminating the advanced scout. That's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I think, I, I think that that teams are kind of moving towards a more like a regional model and maybe right. sharing like amongst them. So there's like, uh, the, okay, our Midwest scout is going to put together the book on Milwaukee and Chicago and Indiana, and maybe three or four teams will use that one guy. I think there's some of that going on, but also um, I think that's partially because um, more and more coaches are moving towards, you know, I think we've talked about this a little before, the difference sort of between regular season and, and playoff play is regular season. We're just we're, we're worrying more about us. And, yeah, we'll have some play calls, but we're not like super adjusting to to what they're doing on a game to game basis. So as that be, that info becomes sort of less game to game important, the importance on having that at your fingertips when you don't have, you know, the week to prepare that you do for a playoff series um kind of kind of drops a, a fair amount so i think that that those those factors are are combining to make that less of a importance and you can probably do a lot of it not all of it maybe not the play call itself as much though depending on how good the audio on our recording is sometimes you can get that too um you can do a lot of this stuff from video um so i think those are all sort of factors that are are moving in, in that direction, if not completely eliminating it. I yeah. mean, there's, there's a couple of things. One, like just to do it off video, like as a video guy, I love the dude, the defender who always calls out the play to his, his bench, trying to figure out what it is, you know, like watch the Andre Jordan. He does it all the time. He raises his hand up going like five, then points to his elbow, letting you know what, what they're relaying to the, the offense as he's coming to defend it. Not that he's going to get the information quick enough to be able to remember what he's actually supposed to do. Um, I think there's an aspect to it, which I think Seth is talking about where teams kind of just focus on themselves during the regular season. I also feel like, you know, you put in place as a coach, this is how we defend these pick and rolls. This is how we defend these pin downs. This is how we want to defend the post, whatnot. You kind of put in your philosophy. And from that, you should pretty much have everything covered that they might potentially see in a game. You know, playoffs is completely different, in a, and we'll talk way more about it as we get closer to it, I'm sure. But I think that's something that, you know, you kind of go into. So it may not be as important as it used to be um, or if it ever really was, but I don't and, – and, and I think there is a growing sentiment of going away from it. But I also think part of it too is it's an expensive position, man. All the flights, all the hotels – uh, on top of a person being full-time salary. But there is one advantage to it that's different than having a regional guy. 
is that this guy is going to call the same plays the same way every time. It's kind of like the stats conversation we were talking about earlier. Your regional scout in the Midwest is going to call these actions a different thing than your East Coast guy, and your East Coast guy is going to call it different than your West Coast guy. And so at least with the one guy, you kind of have sort of that continuity moving across. So it's I don't know if we'll ever see it fully gone, but I think you know there's a value to having one guy. All right, guys. That's gonna. That's about it for this week. Uh, what are you What are you watching this week, Seth? Give me all of your Memphis Grizzlies. Oh my God, man! How sure. much fun is that team? <laughs> you know, you're 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 jumping on my thing that I'm watching this week. But I've been watching Memphis all year. Um, John Morant, he's my favorite player in the league to watch right now. I just can't believe that a rookie is doing what he's doing. As a matter of fact, I mean, it's kind of crazy that that Trey, Luca. And Ja, as as young as they are, have the the NBA court vision that they have. Pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, but don't also sleep on uh, Shea over in Oklahoma City. Like we got a couple really good young point guards that are that are doing some things here. Where it's like this is going to be a fun position. And in the West, man, good luck trying to make an All Star team if you're if you're any of these. If you're not one of these three. Yeah, guys, talk to Mike Conley. Like, yeah, ask I mean, him about his career. And good luck trying to make it, because these these guys have been just amazing to watch. It's been a lot of fun across the board. So I, I was looking at, because right now, they're, as, as of the time we're recording, they're a game and a half up on San Antonio in the eighth seed. So they're, the playoffs started today. They are in. So I took a look. I'm at tankathon.com. Um, they have the ninth hardest remaining strength of schedule. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but man, it would be fun. They're very, I would love for them to make the playoffs, and I hope the Spurs people don't hear that. Um, I should have said earmuffs before I Listen, said that. They got, hey, if they oh. wanted to take a swing at it, which I don't think they do, but they have a $17 million expiring contract that they might be able to get somebody with. I mean, they might. I mean, hell, that maybe he should think about playing with them. I, uh, I asked, I asked that quite a question on Twitter this week, and 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 people were like, "Nah, he'd never," and they'd never, and that's why that, that that bridge is probably that bridge is probably burned because you know where 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 Andre is in his career, he's like, you know, a nice up and coming team. Yeah, that's cute, but I'm I'd rather play for. You know, I'm a I'm a sixty I'm a sixteen game player, not a not right, a well. Right. I, at this point, it's a sixteen game player either way because you know he's missed half like you know half right, the season right. anyway. But but the different sixteen games is is really where he's he he's his focus is, and you know I can I can I can respect that. Um, but man, you got to look and see that would be like they look they look like they're having fun, That's and not the just they're playing well. Yeah, that's the other thing, man. He's smiling and laughing and 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 enjoying himself. And yo. The trash he's talking was pretty awesome. Uh, we we had said it on the ding, you know. After he hits the the three when Harden laid off him, you know, he's turned, he's yelling to the crowd, "Tell that mf'er about me!" Like that's pretty awesome. I love the ballsiness a little bit in that they got a little. The one thing, and to go back to what Dave said about the strength of schedule at, as they go through the rest of the season, it's kind of a little bit of like that Sacramento Kings vibe from last year, where it's like just they're so young they might end up screwing up a few games down the stretch that's going to really hurt them but uh man they got a nice young core good coach and taylor jenkins like i'm excited for this team well uh, what, what are you keeping an eye on this week mo i'm actually really excited for the rockets lakers game on saturday it's the first 
primetime Saturday game we've had this season. I think it's the first time these two teams matched up. I'm really kind of interested to see how that battle plays out. So that's really something I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. Otherwise, I'm just watching hoops. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, as everyone keeps reminding me, this is the dog days of the season. Um, I, Utah, I, I think, uh, got to keep an eye on Utah. They've been fantastic. I, I think that Donovan Mitchell, even when he's, you know, he's looking off, he still is is finding ways to, to be productive. Um, obviously, Rudy Gobert is fantastic. But uh, the way that team has changed since they put Ingles in, back in the starting lineup and since they got Jordan Clarkson, I, I think that you need to look at those two moves. Not, not that they were simultaneous because, you know, they happened a couple weeks apart. But those two moves might be the difference between them actually being the two seed or being the five or six seed Ingles in the starting lineup. I mean, they've won 15 out of 16 since he went back in the starting lineup. It's pretty yeah. incredible. And that, that two through six or really that two through five is really bunched up and just separated by a game and a half. I mean, it's going to be, you know, you have a bad three, four games. You can be right behind, right down in the six seed and, and out of home court. So it's going to be an interesting, uh, See, I get the dog days, but these are really interesting times for me. Like, I just love the hoops at this point. Yeah, and guys are going to be getting healthy here soon. Victor Oladipo will be back uh, to what is already a good team. I mean, it, it's yeah, things are gonna things are gonna pick up here, and uh, hopefully, we snowball well, you know right into the uh, into the playoffs. There's there's also um, a week from tonight. There's kind of a a big thing happening. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, <laughs> I think the. The Wednesday the fifteenth. Uh, yeah. uh, something is. Uh, I, I, you may have heard of of a guy who's making his season debut uh, against the Spurs a, a week from today. Yeah, that, sec- uh, second best rookie behind Ja, even though he yeah. hasn't played a game. <laughs> by, he's he's second in rookie of the year by default. So that's, that's, that's right. a little harsh on Brandon Clark. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. Well, Brandon. <laughs> gosh, gosh, Memphis is good. Um, all right, that's it. We, we could just we're just gonna have a rookie podcast next week, I think, uh, because this is uh, I, this class. I don't think is as good as last year's class, but it's it's got some some really really fun fun guys in it. So maybe we'll do that. Uh, that's gonna do it for this week. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to give us a good uh, review and rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening. Subscribe to the show on the Athletic app. If you're already a subscriber and if you're not, go sign up today. Quit waiting. We'll talk to you guys next week.